Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body I.O. with your host, Kiefer. Uh, this is the second part of the consultation call with Heinrich. So if you haven't listened to the first half, I suggest you do because this section picks up mid-question. Uh, so you might want to know what the question is that I'm answering. But otherwise, I hope everybody enjoys. Okay, well, I have to keep this in context for you. Yeah. Well, even if I do that, it's not a simple answer. I mean, if if I were you and I were optimizing for maintaining health, staying lean, and starting to get my muscle growth enhanced, I would change up several things about your your diet and they would mostly from the outside they would seem like minutiae but they would make your diet very strict like you'd have to have this type of protein at this time of day with these other things with it and then you're going to need this type of protein and it, it would be less about the carbs but because of the way you're saturating yourself with protein you do would need to up your carbohydrate intake some and you're likely going to add a little bit of fat. It's possible. And then so then I'd have to go back and tune that to get it right. Yeah, okay. So I can't answer that easily. Sorry. No, maybe the the body AI will when it comes out. Not sure if how, how detailed that would be. Well, it, be. it can do all that. Well, that's the thing. Like it has all the equations to do that and it just needs that little bit of feedback because it knows the parameter space of where a person could be. So in the first pass, it's going to give you the average of that parameter space. And then as you give it feedback of what's happening with you, it can figure out which part of that space your body inhabits. Okay. So, and it can do that very quickly. Whereas, you know, who, who knows how long it'll take me to go back and forth to get it tweaked in. I'd probably be pretty fast, but not not as bad. <laughs> okay, okay. No, but then I'll I'll keep my diet as is and just continue and work on my binge, binge just basically to to stay healthy. Yeah, the, the uh, way you have it, even the goal to increase your leg mass. I mean, the way you have things. That's the nice thing when you when you start to go if you're controlling your binges sufficiently and having them every once in a while actually isn't bad. I mean that chaotic energy flux really isn't detrimental. In some ways, it can be beneficial. So every once in a while, not a huge deal. But that's what's nice about how you have things structured when you do go to put on more muscle mass. Like super simple. All you need to do is add protein if you're not getting the results. Okay, great. Great. Um, so I think I had a lot of questions on my on post-workout. I think I can just combine them to, to one, which would be um, what is it actually, because we, I, I think you have changed your recommendation on post-workouts a bit since you said in CBL, I think you said wait an hour. Now you say, well, basically the, the 30 minutes is the magic window. <laughs> Um, well, so it's balancing out different windows. 
um at, at cbl i didn't know when the peak um protein synthesis window uh window occurred but i knew it was later and i didn't know exactly that 30 minute window for carbs so i was trying to make the best guess based yep. on what i knew biochemistry wise and working with people and i knew somewhere in an hour was right and for simplicity that's still not bad that one hour window for simplicity because otherwise now what you really need to do is split when you ingest the carbohydrates post-workout and when you ingest the protein post-workout or you need to adjust what protein you have post-workout because the question also is basically what we want to achieve. Because as you said, I mean, from my understanding, peak break, breakdown is basically four hours. Then you have peak th synthesis five hours, kind of independently on how of how long you train. And then you have kind of that 30-minute 30, 30 window after training where you kind of can push as much carbs as possible into the muscles. Mm -hmm. um, so the question is like, okay, so what? Do we want to achieve with the protein that we kind of ingest directly after? And is, do we have kind of other signaling events we want to trigger with our kind of post-workout shake? Well, if, I mean, essentially, if you try to refill glycogen levels right away, you're hitting all of the, we'll call them subsidiary hormonal and signaling goals. So if you're doing with that that with carbs, you're hitting all those signals. Okay. Now, with protein, so so if you're a beginner and you trained in a low glycogen state, the peak synthesis is about four hours after. Now, that window shifts based on training experience and glycogen reserve status. That peak shifts from four hours all the way out to eight or nine hours. Oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so you can't just – that's why, you know, I never really went back and corrected that one-hour post-workout because it covers things well enough for most people because they're going to eat at some point. You know, it before their peak happens. Yeah. And then those proteins will be used effectively. Uh, so what that post-workout rush of protein actually does is it makes sure that the splachnic bed is totally filled with amino acids. So if there are any deficits, the splachnic bed can provide all the protein necessary to meet the full synthesis goals. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So basically, I mean, looking at my diet and how I've structured it, um, it's kind of the carbs I want to consume um, to, to get that signaling events directly after. Since I consume, I mean, protein, I can ob obviously eat more, but I feel I eat it at appropriate times. Yeah, you're hitting your lunch at a good time. That's why I said, you know, if I were going to tweak this some... You know, I might move some stuff around, but this is working for it. So one thing I try to do, and this is 
something I put into body AI because I try to do it is I try to mess with a person's daily schedule as little as possible. Yeah. Um, so with this, I would be trying to move your lunch or I would be trying to include some sort of protein source at different times or whatever. But I mean, this is pretty good. I mean, those would be in effect minutia in a way like if if you had a bodybuilding contest coming up well okay we got a ton of work to do on your diet (laughs) yep but but you don't so no it's good the way it is you're inadvertently hitting a lot of windows uh the food sources you're using are you know they're not great but they're matching up not too poorly with your synthesis rates i mean so all of it's good enough I mean, it, it's, it's good pretty enough, good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, kind of that's a balancing act also for me because um, I was always under the impression it's not perfect, but it's kind of working long term. Since I've not, I mean, before I started with this, I've not been able to kind of adhere to anything for this amount of time, kind of sustainably. Mm-hmm. So then I feel okay. I just leave it. I don't want to add. I mean, a lot of snacks. I probably should maybe eat something in the afternoon or I should eat something here. But then again, it would just make it so much more effort for me to actually do it. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly don't think you need to, you know, the, the way things are, are the way you've got things structured, you don't really need to. Okay, great. So then, I mean, okay. So again, on before we move move away from the post workout, kind of, what would you say is the minimum kind of um, the source and the minimum kind of amount of carbs and protein we actually do need to do everything we wanted to do? We, as in you and I, in this scenario. Okay. Yeah. Uh, me. Maybe then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I'd have to sit down and calculate all that by hand. Okay. <laughs> so no, I mean, no kind of you're like general. you're, yeah, you're about about 85 kilograms. Yep. Uh, so somewhere between. I mean, I always start with the protein. Yep. And so you're somewhere of a hundred to double that, 160 somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just have to look and see how you're reacting to to get that absolutely right. I would start on the high side and ratchet it back if necessary. And, or, or sorry, up to 170, 100 to 170. And I, like I said, it, if I had to do it by hand, I would start at the high end and ratchet it back. Um, and then carbohydrates. <sighs> Hard to answer just because I I can't do the calculation by hand to see how much each of your muscles stores and how much is burned in each workout. And that, that's a that's a moving target. So I can't yeah. tell you that for sure. I could only give you guesses based on the exercises you do and overages. And that guess, which I know from my equations, is not a good guess. But that guess would be only around um, like 100 grams of carbs. 
which, uh, like I said, I know that's not a good guess, but that's by hand. That's the guess I would have to give. And then I would work off of fat to meet the balance of whatever your energy needs are minus what you have on your body. If minus because of where you are, I would be subtracting what I know your body could give up easily. Yeah. Uh, which so that was the zero percent. Sorry. On. Yeah, which which is again not something. Well, I, so that's what I call a back of the envelope calcu calculation. All of these are back of the envelope. So these are just if everything was ideal and everything was really simple, these are the numbers you would get. Well, you were really big at one time. Yep. Comparatively, you had a lot of body fat. So what you have now are a lot of really empty fat cells. So even though you're carrying quote unquote significant fat you know not even nine percent body fat it's a lot of fat but that nine percent body fat is distributed amongst a much higher number of fat cells than somebody who had never been as big as you yeah so that means your body's access to getting that fatty acid out is much 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 lower that back of the envelope calculation will not apply to you I understand. Okay. Yeah. So that's why, you know, like, I, I, I really would like to be able to just give simple answers, but I can really only give a simple answer for protein because that one's pretty consistent. Yeah. Carbohydrates, I, you know, I can give a really general number for every day because of the, your workouts, the way you have them. But then fat. I, I, I really couldn't tell you in your situation. I could only say, well, you're going to be really close to just meeting your excess energy needs with fat because mobilizing it out of your body fat is a super slow process. Yeah. But, but it, but it, it's doable and we would want to tap into that. Like that's a good thing to do, but what that comes out in calories every day, I, I, I couldn't tell you. Okay, that's fine. That's why I wrote, said, so I wrote software for these questions. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, so right. you said no. 100 grams of carbs, and I, I, as I said, I usually do twice or three times that day, but it seems to be working somehow. Yeah, you're good. I Like I said, and uh, well, like I, I said when I said that, like that's an estimate, and I know it's a bad one. Yeah. Oh, pardon me. My voice is getting dry. I know it's a bad one from the equations, and I know the window that comes out of those e equations predictions, and then I know all the extra information needed in those equations to narrow it down to the right yep. zone for you. And I just I I can't do that off the top of my head. Oh God, I wish I could. I'd be like some sort of <laughs> idiot savant or something. That'd be awesome, but I can't. But you did the software, which is kind of a close second to, to be able to do that by hand. Correct, yeah. But great, okay. And I, I kind of, um, I was happy to hear that kind of the, the rate limiting uh, science part, because I kind of never understood that before or never heard it mentioned by anyone before, which is kind of strange, to be honest. Well, which, um, which part? I, um, kind of that, that, that the body can only release so much fat a day 
um, when you're in a deficit. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that kind of, I've never heard that before, which is kind of weird because it feels like it should be public no, or everybody should know it, um, which well, means, it, I mean, all these starvation diets are just basically super stupid. Yeah, well, they're not if you're super obese. And that's why all of these programs showcase super obese people, because if you give me somebody who's super obese, well, it's simple. They probably only need to eat protein. They yeah. They have so much body fat and those fat cells are so full. They're so large in diameter that yeah. they can supply all of their energy needs without problem. So you can just starve them out. It doesn't matter. Um, but then that completely falls apart once they start to get down into the lower weights. And then if you start with somebody who was never that big, then the diet absolutely can't work. No. And I think I, that was one of the questions I actually had for later, but I can ask it now. I mean, what is the metabolic difference in being in this kind of real deficit where, where you would say, okay, my body can't actually meet and my body fat um, can't actually meet the energy demand I have versus I'm losing body fat, but I can still, I mean, do you understand the question? Kind of my body can meet the deficit. Uh so if you go if you dip below the deficit well if you dip exactly. below your calorie deficit or sorry if you dip below your the calorie needs of your body right because yeah. we have to whenever i talk about the calorie needs of the body you have to remember some of that comes from food and some of it comes from inside the body exactly so, so essentially me, you're talking about dipping below that Exactly. So for me, I mean, the difference between the, the two scenarios. So both you are in a deficit, but the one um, is just, okay, you can meet it with your body fat. The other one is you can't. Well, you know, this is another one of those super complex. It depends. <laughs> so in general, let's say we're, we're taking the average person. And you're a special case because of your binging, actually. Yeah. So let's say you take your average person. What you will see is a major stopping of a lot of metabolic repair processes. Uh, there, a lot of hormones will become suppressed. And this is where you get the typical numbers of, okay, they continue to lose body fat, but they also are losing a lot of lean tissue at the same time. Okay. Okay, so that's that's where we would fall into in those scenarios. So in your scenario, let's say you're in a deficit several days out of the week. Your chaotic use of binging <laughs> actually has really positive effects against the negative aspects of just trying to whittle the body down slowly. Yeah. So... Uh, it, it's hard for me to give all the dynamics of why that works. But in your situation, you're making up the calorie deficit once or twice a week. Yep. And that's why it becomes important to look at calorie deficits over a week period and how are the calorie deficits distributed against the calorie surpluses and all this other different stuff. And it's, it's, it's interesting because it starts to make some really significant differences 
when you force the body into that into more chaotic cycles um, and it turns out it's best if it's random like having the carb night every week once a week that's great for most people because it keeps them consistent it gives them something to work for and it will work for a long period of time but if you could get them to do that carb night randomly like truly random it would have even better effects because the body get can kind of get used to it to the rhythm uh, of it? Well, I mean, that's not really the right way to think about it. Okay. Um, when you randomize it in that way, you're essentially increasing the power output that you get from the food. Okay. That randomization essentially makes the body way more inefficient, but not just shitty inefficiency it makes it inefficient in a way that increases power output and that's not athletic power output that's the power output from each mitochondria okay so you're optimizing power output on average over time on the ensemble of all mitochondria in the body and so that interplay has a positive forward effect that then also changes what your caloric needs are total so when you do start to look at the the calorie needs over a week that changes depending on are they having their carb night every friday okay well that's one scenario are they having their carb night well they had it this saturday and then they had one tuesday and then the next week they actually didn't they skipped around and didn't have it until the following thursday that changes the calories needed and it changes the macronutrient ratios so it, it's not a simple answer like the the simple answer is for the average person dropping below that level on a consistent basis is just going to screw up their body and then on the other hand there's the other side of the equation it's like well doing that consistently surrounded by bursts of calorie surpluses can have can profoundly change the equations and then you really can't answer very well okay okay i'm happy with that answer um, okay. <laughs> i liked it um and now because I've, you mentioned it a couple of times like i'm a special case because I've, i was so heavy um which means i have a lot of like fat cells which are pretty much empty now and mm -hmm. i remember you wrote um about killing fat cells basically in in carbonite um if mm -hmm. i don't misremember is that still a possibility and something that someone in my case should kind of work try to work toward to become more resilient because i just have a feeling that I can get really fat really fast without trying. And I just thought that maybe that's the reason because I yeah. have so many empty fat cells. That's the exact reason. Uh, the, the rate for getting fat into fat cells, well, no, that's not quite right. It, it turns out the rate for getting fat into fat cells and the rate for getting fat out of fat cells is roughly equal. Yeah. 
So you shouldn't be able to lose weight any – well, you shouldn't be able to get fatter any faster than you could lose the weight. But that's often not the case because the rate at which carbohydrates can enter shrunken fat cells is highly increased. Yeah. And carbohydrates in the fat cell do go through – well, actually, it's often missed – that they go through de novo lipogenesis in the fat cells because they're actually first stored as glycogen in the fat cells for a short period. And then once they're in there, they can be converted at the maximum rate to fat cells, which is actually an energy producing process. So while you stuffed all those carbohydrates in there, they got stored as glycogen. Now they're converting to fatty acids at their maximum rate. In doing that, they're supplying the cell with ATP. Well, if the cell's flooded with ATP, all of its energy needs are met. So it it's no longer burning any calories that you eat whatsoever. It's storing all of them. And that's the situation that a lot of people get into who are overeating on a carbohydrate-based diet. Their fat cells literally are just – they're not burning any energy anymore that you eat. Even though it's often put into calculations, it's not – correct because they are not burning fat that you eat all those carbohydrates you ingested as it turns them into fat so that they can get more full it's making energy out of that process and therefore it doesn't need to burn off anything that you eat it can store all of it so okay so the the energy so so killing store it is actually well, Being let me go back and answer your question, yeah. which is about them dying. So, yeah. yeah, it looks like from your previous pictures and your current pictures, you have them in a range where they will start dying off. Um, the power of cycling leptin levels against lower insulin levels, that's still unclear. That We still don't have a good handle on that in human beings. Uh, Or, well, actually, even in mouse models. So just in the most confident way we know of, you're in the situation where you can start letting fat cells die as they should naturally. Okay, just by being leaner for a longer period of time, is that what you mean? Correct. So no special cycling, even though that might help, but we don't really know. But a certain way is okay, just basically finding a new baseline for me correct Uh, yeah i mean it'll take time but you're in the situation where it will happen Uh, like you could speed it up with some exotic chemicals but it's probably a conversation for another day yeah (laughs) but okay that that makes me happy because i mean i'm again still at this level i'm jojoing a bit but then it, I would have then motivation to not be doing that because then I'm not killing off my fat cells as I should. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not as quickly as you could. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Then um, things, then we move. I mean, you can tell me anytime because we've been on the phone, uh, even though I have a lot of questions left, we've been on here for a long while now. So you can just, without being rude, tell me, Henrik, you have... Um, overstepped your boundaries or <laughs> well i was gonna kind of wait and see what the next question is and see how long it's gonna be because i i mean giving you a an, another five to ten minutes is fine but if if you ask a big one it's gonna be like oh uh, yeah i gotta pass 
Yeah, so it stands between kind of the the uh, what I should do with my, I mean, the legs or not legs, but basically um, the reason I, I haven't had good leg development is because I've had these kind of misalignments in my body. Uh, but that's basically a big question, so it can. Uh, well, it's a big question, but I, I mean, I can. I can touch on it pretty quickly because that's super important. I mean, those things accumulate over time. Oh, yes. Um, the, the problem noticed. in your arm and your shoulder is lo- likely in your neck. Okay. Uh, from the things you're describing, like it gets to the point where it, like it's not working properly, um, those things. That's, that's coming from your neck, and it's creating a chain reaction all the way down your bicep, probably even your forearm, even if you haven't completely noticed it yet, even your grip. Um, okay. so th- that's in your neck you, and, and really you can listen to, I don't remember which one it was. We went into a, I went into a lot of that with him because he had some yeah, it was kind of a two, two podcasts ago. Um, I, I remember that. Yeah. You might want to listen to that again. You have essentially the same problem, um, and fixing it the same thing. Like you'll need the help of a chiropractor and just some basic stretching exercises uh we'll start to bring that around you probably have some issues in your scapula uh so when the nerves become downregulated from the neck they also they can cause the scapula to become dysfunctional which can both tighten and loosen the support tissue there and it can repattern your nervous system so you really need to do they're called shoulder dumps one time once i saw a video of somebody doing them correctly (laughs) i'll see if i can find that video again and i might actually even have video of it uh from somebody that i trained i'll see if i can but you will really need to do that on was it your left side i forget yeah Exactly. Yeah. No, I think need, that, yeah. Yeah, you'll absolutely need to do that on your left side. And what's going on with your hips is also affecting that entire chain. Um, because when you go to move your left arm, the minute you try to move it upward, that nervous impulse actually starts at your right foot. Okay. So that that breakdown that you're having in your hips as well is also affecting that. So you need to work on your hips. Again, hip misalignment, you're probably going to need a chiropractor. Uh, Somebody needs to, my guess is your SI joint is out. Uh, It's usually not painful, but it really downregulates nervous impulses from the legs down. Uh, so, So I'm guessing your SI joint is likely out. You'll have to have that put back in. I, if I knew how to do that one, I would tell you, but I don't. Um, well, actually, I do, but I would be really scared to tell somebody how to do it. <laughs> I will find somebody who, who who can do it. Yeah, again, you want to find somebody who just does manual adjustments yeah. um, because they're going to know exactly what to do and they're going to get you fixed instead of trying to get you to come in over and over again. Yeah. Um, and for your legs, you're starting to do the right thing. The geometry of how you want to place your feet for quad growth is super important. And from what you're describing, your upper limb, 
is longer than normal compared to your lower limb. So it's putting a lot of torque on your knee when you squat because you're having yeah. to, my guess is your knee comes out way over your toes when you squat down. Is that um, correct? Because, um, yeah, so I have to have a, like a really high heel on my, my uh, squat shoes to be even be able to get down. Yeah. And then, yeah, of course, my, my knee is way past my, my toes. Yeah. And that's, as you described in here, that's a ton of knee stress. Um, and that will eventually de- de- debilitate your knees. Uh, so what you're doing with the leg press is actually a good... So you want to you wanna have your feet a little higher than normal. And where you'll be able to feel they're in the right position is if you take them a little bit higher on the platform, you'll start to feel this pull in your hamstrings. Yeah. And then bring them just down a little bit below that. Okay. That, that'll give you the right geometry. And then the really important thing to keep in mind is when you come down, you want to keep your lower back arched. Do not let your hips roll up. So okay, this, yeah. this, especially since your hips are compromised be, because of just the spine issues, you don't want your back to round out. You want to keep it arched. And so that's going to limit your range of motion at first, but I, I wouldn't worry about it. And for leg press, do you usually, I mean, I've, I've seen, or there's basically two variants when you have the feet very narrow, so they don't really mimic a squat or when you have them a bit broader apart. So it's more like a squat motion, which one are you kind of talking about? If you understand what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you mean. So, um, well, so, so they're hitting the quads in different ways. I mean, I would use both. Changing up your stance is good. And they require a l- different mental focus also. So having your feet wide, you're going to be really focusing as you bring it down and keeping your back arched hard yeah. so that you can get your your knees down as close to you as possible without arching your back. And you'll feel a lot of sensation in your hips and in your groin muscles, you know, in the inner part of the thigh. And so it great exercise. And then when you bring your legs in, what you're going to start to be pushing with the most are your outer quads, the outer part yep. of the quad. So using a mixture of both of those is is really good. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, and when your feet are close together, what you might experience is as you come down, your knees want to go toward each other. Yeah. So you need to have the mental focus to pull the knees outward as you come down. Because they'll flare out naturally when you push. But when you come down, they usually want to come in toward each other. You want to prevent them from doing that. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I know the feeling, and I usually know that's bad, so I don't or try to prevent that. Um, yeah. And the reason I asked about like the narrow leg, this because I or the narrow stance is because I tried um, hack squat, but that has, I mean, my knees basically can't do it because uh, for some reason the hack squat has like a tremendous 
pressure somehow on my knees. Yeah, hack squat. That's one of those like people kind of use it as a a basic exercise. Like, oh, well, that one's simple. But I mean, you in general, you have to work with somebody to help you get set up over a few workouts so that you have the right mechanics on it. Because if you don't, you could easily blow out your knees. Yeah, that's what I feel. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting since I started listening to you all these years ago. I've kind of lost trust in any personal trainer or doctor or anything. So I, I can't really... <laughs> um, I'm like, I want to have a personal trainer. I want to find a coach or something that can help me. But I'm like, I won't trust you. So I won't do it. <laughs> yeah it's kind of hard you have to have a trainer that you first train who can then watch you yeah <laughs> is the way it needs to go okay uh, yeah and that's i mean of course most trainers have an inflated sense of self so they're never going to do that yeah, mo mo most kind of trainers i see in old gyms i've been to are like i i i probably could do that better than you so i won't because I'm, yeah, not because of hubris or, or amigocentric or anything, but I just feel that the quality of normal coaches are pretty low, very low. Yeah, it, well, and it's amazing. It, like, goes all the way up, and it's just because they have an idea of something that works. Maybe it worked for them. Maybe they saw somebody they respected or taught or learned from do it, and then they just, like, that's what they stick with. Yeah. And, you know, even at the professional level, if you watch NFL training camps, they do still do the speed drills with the ropes where they make the guys run through the ropes. And this is American football, yeah. uh, lifting their knees real high, super fast and these speed drills. Well, their quote unquote speed drills slow down the reflexes of the sorry, the they lengthen the reaction time of their athletes. So they're actually training them in the exact opposite way that they should be. But you'll see this at the NFL level. Like, I mean, these are coaches who are being paid tens of million dollars a year, and they don't – they basically don't know how the body works. That's pretty crazy. No, it's its amazing. And it's – they're not stupid. I'm not saying they're stupid, and I don't – and it's not that they don't deserve to be there. I mean, they often have like great strategy and they have an ability to assess athletes in a way that most people can't. But their knowledge base is highly questionable about how the body works because they didn't learn how the body works. They learned how other coaches coached players. Yeah. So, okay. Anyway. Interesting. Okay, so just tell me, do you need to go now? And which is totally fine since I've uh, overextended my stay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, well, I think we covered everything important for you, right? Like the all your I, questions. The, the 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 big part I have left is basically um, my training. If there's like the the rest between sets and the basic layout. Um, oh yeah, that and, was fine. I actually read that and I had no comments. That's why I didn't think to say anything. So what is actually, just for my understanding, if you want to answer, because um, in your protocols, your training protocols, you have everything from 30 seconds to rest, 30 seconds rest to four or five minutes. 
And in the last, I can't remember which podcast, but you said basically we want to rest three minutes and higher because we kind of let the mitochondria go back to um, not staying in the anaerobic phase. Stay I think. higher oxidative state. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I mean, it, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're doing shockwave, let's say in shockwave, there's very strict uh, ratios between certain things in very short time spans. Um, but that's because you're trying to turn several sets into essentially one big set. And yeah. then you're going for large rest periods in between. If somebody, let's say, wants to mostly burn fat and they're not really all that concerned with growing muscle, then the shorter time periods between sets is better because you're forcing the mitochondria to better adapt to being fully oxidative, which means yeah. they have to rely on fat more than they can rely on carb sources. So it, it's just really, it's a, one of those big, it depends on what you're training for, what your goals are. But it's okay. So if I want to basically burn a lot of carbs, it's fine resting three minutes between it set. The longer rest is better. Yes. Okay. I, okay. That's good. Cause I, oh, I just feel like, I mean, there's a huge difference for me if I rest even like two minutes or two and a half minutes, the, it's kind of two reps difference between just 30 seconds. And then obviously the, the higher I go with rest, the more reps I can do in the kind of following set. Yeah. There's, there's an amazing, I mean, it's almost awe inspiring the metabolic processes that are happening during that rest period. I I mean, it's when I sit down and I look at the numbers of like how much of material has to be produced in that time and what has to be cleared out and recycled and everything, like it's just mind numbing. It really is. So that longer period is really key if your goal is burning glycogen and trying to grow muscle. Yeah. Okay. I hope to read all of this in your new book whenever it comes. Yes, it'll be next year. Like, I can't... Things have to happen really fast now. I'm in that situation where stuff has to happen, so it will. And what should people read in, in, in the meantime when we can't read Kiefer and we have read Carb Backloading or Carb Night or whatever 10 times now? What should we read? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. I, n yeah, well, so that's like asking Einstein a few questions about general relativity and say, hey, I want to learn more about general relativity. What should I read? Yeah. Well, like, what's he going to say? You know, in the... In the 1920s, he was the only person working on general relativity, so he couldn't say, oh, well, you should go read this or this. Like, he, he wouldn't have had anything he could say. And, and yeah, I'm, not, no, I'm I, not comparing myself to Einstein. I'm just comparing myself to that situation. Yeah. No, and I, I totally understand because, I mean, I mean, I've basically lost trust in everything I read, all the books and or, or whatever. And sometimes I find myself kind of opening up the research papers I think you are referencing to because I can't see the 
the very semblance, but then I'm like, okay, this is, I mean, I read now one or two or three, and you have read thousands and thousands. I mean, it's kind of, why am I doing this? I can just wait for your book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's I, kind of the feeling I have. Yeah, that's why people ask me all the time, oh, what paper should I read? Or it's like, all of yeah, them? Yeah, exactly. That's why I feel it's kind of a high th threshold threshold thing to do. Yeah, I don't. and and I'm not discouraging that. Like, you know, if people want to go through and start doing all that research themselves, I implore them to get familiar with the science and the niceties of it. But get familiar with all the details. Don't just read the abstract and be like, oh yeah, okay, well this makes sense. Like that that doesn't cut it because when you read the next abstract. You just might not understand how it tied into that first paper because you didn't yeah. understand all the details or you didn't read all the details in that first paper. Yeah. And it's all those connections that make the difference in how you start to in, in, reinterpret all of this stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, read everything. That's what you should read. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so just because I'm being very... Um, um, egoistic now so I want to ask one, one more question which is basically on a completely different or maybe more tied to this but basically it's more of I mean what you're doing is really inspiring for a lot of people I think but especially for, for me and I think the, the, the time I'm kind of doing something of pure from pure enjoyment or kind of intrinsic motivation is when I'm listening to you or reading your work on kind of the science of, of health or whatever you want to call it nowadays and kind of I've lost more and more interest in my own career path I've been working as a management consultant for five years now and I've kind of want to pivot somehow into working more towards health and not what you're doing because I will never be a scientist or a researcher at least but I still want to kind of, if you understand what I mean, pivot towards that direction. But I have no idea what to do or what would make sense. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts about that. Uh, you know, it it's one of those things that's hard really to answer because, you know, I went through that twice in my life. And <laughs> yeah. The, the first time it didn't go very well and I had to go back to uh, the the it, it actually made me shift big time. Like, I you know, I was in the middle of my Ph.D. and then I got sidetracked on this diet stuff and learning how to write so I could write a diet book and then nothing happened. So yeah. I had to go back to my normal job. And then the second time, you know, it it paid off like things happened differently. And I. You know, I'm glad they did. So, but then there are other paths, like trying to work as a med tech or radiologist or um, just some kind of consultant or a trainer or, you know, there's so many paths. And part of it comes down to what is it you enjoy most or you think you'll enjoy most about being in that field yeah um f for me th there's two things that are 
equal enjoyment for me and that's learning and figuring things out like i love solving problems there's no higher purpose in my life than solving problems but also equally important to me is that feeling and sensation i get when i talk to people where i've given them back their life um yeah yeah, it's awesome to help people who've broken world records you know that's awesome like i love pushing the body to those extremes but talking to the people where i've literally given them their life back where you know they thought they would never do these things they would they thought they would never spend time with their kids like they do they thought they would never be on the bike you know just simple stuff like that like that has become of equal importance in my life so for me those go hand in hand now if if really it's just about helping somebody and having that connection to changing their life then being a trainer or a coach or something like that can have profound effects and even possibly moving in to try to become a coach of like little league sports teams like kids um, that can have monumental effects and then you also are able to influence the parents if they're interested Um, so there's all i mean there's so many pathways you could explore maybe you just want to write about it in a lay way that would just pique people's interests like there's a path for doing that and there's you know some lucrative potential there as well you know but there's so many media outlets today they're all screaming for content quality content doesn't matter what it is yeah um so you have those routes you know going the education route is of course requires a lot of time and it will require a lot of battles um i mean you wouldn't believe the conversations and battles i've had with people who are teaching at top universities considered in the world like i mean we're talking stanford uc berkeley uc santa barbara um i mean some of the conversations i've had with them they're so obtuse (laughs) that they will not relent from their position even if i can show them in real time two or three papers that support what i just said like so if you're if you're going that education route you've just got to have thick skin and you have to know exactly what your goal is at the end of that and that might mean swallowing your pride and just telling them what they want to hear for however many years to get to the other side um so so i have no one good answer for that um other than the first thing you need to identify is what is it that you love most that you're going to get out of moving to the health field yeah okay and yeah, that's, then, that, that's a good question <laughs> yeah and then that can start to narrow down you know maybe you realize what you love most is self-practicing and the hobby aspect of it quote unquote if you want to call it that in your position and so then it maybe doesn't make sense to make a huge career change you know maybe it makes more sense to find a career that lets you spend a little more time doing those things um so 
Yeah, I mean, it's something I'm you're you're talking about a major life change, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you just want to make sure that you're going to get from that change what it is that you really want. And I think that's a good consideration or uh, thought um, I have to, to kind of be clear on before I start doing anything. Yeah. And I can almost guarantee whatever your answer is, there probably is some path for you to do that in in the direction of the health world. I just need to find it. But I yeah, think it Yeah. Yeah. I know one individual, first she wanted to be, she wanted to do what I did with, but more coaching people one-on-one. And then she did that and she wasn't really enjoying it like she thought. And, and I posed the same question to her. I'm like, what is it that you're really getting out of the, the times that you've had these moments where you think this is what you want to do? What was it? And it, for her, it was, it was really that connection of helping somebody who was battling against what for them felt like insurmountable odds and helping them make fe- helping make them feel better through that process and once she realized that she actually went into hospice care and she's super happy and for most people and it's something she would never would have thought of she never would have thought of being around people in their last moments and helping them through those moments until she realized that's really what was giving her joy in life. Um, And, you know, she loves it. I I don't think I could do that, but she she loves it. She loves being that person for them. So, yeah, answering that question can really help you hone in on what it is you want to do. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think just a very short answer now is kind of, when I feel the happiest is when I understand something. That's, I think, why I enjoy your content so much, because I feel, okay, now I understand it. But then the question is, obviously, just understanding stuff. It's not much of a career. Obviously, you have to do something with that knowledge, and that right. I don't really know um, yet. <laughs> yeah, and there there might be some way to couple that or, you know, to turn it into, like, the better you understand things, obviously, the more satisfaction you get out of it but also the more benefits other people get as well and i guarantee there's some path there that that would work out for you i hope so too Mm, okay all right i well i mean i definitely feel like what's a lot of information we're at a we're at a good stopping point too Uh, yeah we really are. Uh, I really enjoy the time. It feels like, you know, there's a lot of like books or uh, brainstorming exercises when you ask the questions like, imagine or who would be the one person you would want to talk to living or dead. And for me, you have been that person for like so uh, a couple of years now, which is pretty cool for me to be able to talk to you now. Uh, so oh, thank you so much wow. for that. You uh- that is an amazingly high compliment. Thank you very much. Yeah, that is uh, no, but that's very true. 
And I will keep on following you and uh, basically read everything you put out twice or thrice or 10 times, <laughs> which is basically what I've been doing since I found you. All right. Well, sounds great. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope I was able to answer your questions and help you out with everything. Yep, you did, Kiefer. Thank you so much. Great. Have a great day. Thanks. You too, Heinrich. Well, Cheers. yeah, evening. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao.